Hello and welcome to The Back Pass, a podcast for sports nerds by sports nerds. On tonight's episode, we look at the first week of the FIFA 2022 World Cup, the tactics behind the shocks, the first sightings of the GOATs at their last World Cup, we revisit the predictions and... Are there more goals in the desert? Hello and welcome to the Back Pass. I'm your host Ali Malwala and with me today I have Kevin Gurpreet and we're joined by our extended team. Welcome Mike and Ashish. Hey Ali. Hey, how's it going mate? Lads, for all that Qatar has been criticized for, correctly, might I add. The football has been a good distraction. Especially the Qataris or a huge thank you to their bad neighbors, the Saudis, for their historic win. Honest question. Who here had Saudi losing 5-0 before the game? Or even at halftime? Well, I, I, I think we all, uh, we all stacked our World Cup fantasy teams with, uh, with Argentina players. And we were all furiously subbing them off because uh, the the World Cup fantasy game allows you to sub off players. Um, yeah, I'd say Argentina players were probably the most subbed off. <laughs> yeah, what I'd like to add, add to that is, uh, me personally, I think like Belgium, Argentina um, are way overrated. Um, you know, they've Oof. just got Messi and, and the odd um, superstar here and there. Um, my personal view is um, that they are like Belgium, way overrated. Um, but yeah, I did not see that coming at all. I did not see the Saudis at all. I'm just gonna chuck something out here. Should putting putting all the politics aside, should the World Cup have been held in Saudi Arabia? Could you imagine that game in Saudi Arabia? Oh. I think the streets would have been on fire. Jeez, that would have been. <laughs> I, I think they still were on fire. I think, I think there were still riots in Saudi, probably celebrating. They still might be celebrating. Probably gunfire in the desert. Yeah. It's going off. Yeah. But it's it's also about how the Saudis did it. And it wasn't, it, you know, that, that second goal, especially by the Saudis, that was that was sensational. That was, I think it was up there for, it's probably in the, in the line for goal of the tournament. Yeah, Ali, uh, you're right. That was a sensational finish. Um, so just off the blocks, I'm going to do an Ashish and come out firing with numbers. Uh, let, let's get this out of the way first. Uh, <laughs> the Saudis in that game had an XG of 0.1, right? Argentina had an XG of 2.2. So they got lucky. They, they rode their luck. Defensively, they were well organized. Uh, they tend to set up very similar to England. <laughs> It's basically a mid-block where they're looking to slow the opposition down. And for large patches, I think that worked quite well. And then, as you say, that, that, that second finish was sensational. And from there, I think it was just a case of them holding on and Argentina not being able to find a way through. But statistically, I think that game was a bit of an anomaly. The first half was quite interesting. Uh, the Argentina obviously took the penalty and... I think they had the ball in the back of the net three times. Correct. Um, at least one of them was a yep. very tight yep. uh, VAR decision. Um, and I just wonder what the halftime team talk would have been for Argentina, other than, you know, look out for that offside trap. It's just a matter of how many goals we're going to score. And I don't even think they were worried about um, Saudi Arabia nicking one, let alone two goals. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think they just got out completely um, the, as you I think shared earlier Gapreet, um, that or uh, the team talk um, from the over and out um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean that was that was quite impressive and <laughs> passionate so yeah it's, it's good just to see I mean that's the biggest thing for me is just the the halftime turnaround that Saudis were absolutely dreadful unless they were like deliberately trying to catch them offside but uh, and Lure, lure them into a false sense of security but yeah that was my take on it one thing that we discussed last week that could you know could be taken as why the game turned out in the way it did 
So we, we know Saudi was going to play um, a high line. I think they di they've done that basically throughout all of the qualifiers. Um, if they if Argentina were a better team, and maybe this has something to do with Messi, but <laughs> if Argentina was a better structured team, they could potentially have been able to change tactics midway through. But I think having Messi in the team, building the team in this particular way, had a huge impact on the way that they played. Um, so my concern is going forward for Argentina is why wouldn't every team who has the capability to play a high line like this, put up this offside trap, not do this against Argentina? Mm. Yeah, Ke Kevin, you, you make a, you make an excellent point. Uh, and, and this is sort of what I was saying earlier. It was when, when the Saudis set up in that mid block, effectively what they were doing was they were saying, you can have the ball in the back third. We're not going to press you until the ball comes into the middle third. But when we mm. press you, we're gonna we're, we're really going to compact that space up. So essentially, they lined up in a four four two. The 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 bank of four with the defense and the midfield got quite compact. They squeezed the space, and and as we've seen time and time again, when teams do that, the, the way around it is to basically move the ball quickly in midfield. You know where you're you're you've got these banks of four and you're looking to move them out of shape. Messi, we know, doesn't do that. He he doesn't operate in that middle third. And I don't think Argentina have the type of players in that middle third like, say, Spain do, for example, um, to, to basically move... They, they couldn't move Saudi Arabia out of shape. Um, and then, like Ali alluded to, we, we kind of had two sensational finishes. And from then, you could just see Argentina just trying to force the balls, right? They were just trying to force it into feet. And they just became easy pickings. So... I, I really don't think they've got the players in midfield to respond to to good teams doing that. But they do, right? Right, like they do. They have alternatives. They have those players. They have they have Paulo Dumbala. They have players of that ilk who can get into those half spaces and half turns and make something happen. It's it, it is like you know what. And this is something we'll probably get into a bit deeper. It's it's that goat conversation of like, but you have the goat in that position, kind of filling that space. How do you move him out to make way for someone who might might help out? I'd be curious to know what others think about. Was it more of an anomaly for Argentina or or Saudi in terms of where where does it where does it leave the rest of the pool? Do we see? Um, does anyone really not actually think that? Argentina won't make the um, the next round. I'm I'm pretty confident they'll get at least a win and a draw, and I think they'll probably take two wins. And then it's a question of for Saudi, mm. what are they going to do against um, the uh, Poland and Mexico? Are they going to take points off them, or was it you know an anomaly result? And you're not going to see that again. So I'd be curious to know what others take is. I I worry about them against Mexico tonight. I, I think we've got that game happening uh, 8 a.m. New Zealand time tomorrow. Like, like Kevin said, when a team squeezes that space up, I, I'm not convinced they've got the skills in midfield. Um, just uh, doing a furious Google search, uh, DePaul and Paredes in, uh, in central <laughs> midfield, I effectively their playmaking comes from uh, Di Maria and Leo Messi either out wide or in that number 10 space. Again, I think if, if Mexico are compact in midfield, if they if they line up in a mid-block, I, I, I see this being tricky again for, for Argentina. I, I basically think it's going to come down to Di Maria or Messi creating something. Otherwise, Argentina are going to struggle for goals again. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not convinced they're going to have it easy against Mexico. Yeah, I'm thinking if Argentina can't, can't pull the rabbit out of the hat against Mexico... We're looking at pro probably Poland yeah. and Mexico qualifying for the group. So, does anyone th think Saudi can get a result against Poland in the earlier match? If they do, it makes it makes that group even hard, even more more full of risk for all the other teams. But Saudi taking one of the qualification spots would be like the um, knockout spots would be insane. I think that would be huge. Yeah. I'm just having a quick look at the the odds that the bookies have got, and it looks like they currently ha they currently have <laughs> Saudi as second favourites in that group to qualify. 
who are the favourites? Would that be Poland? Uh, wow. So Argen- uh, Argentina qualify a dollar fifty. Still okay. Uh, Saudi Arabia one ninety, um, Mexico two ten, and Poland two twenty five. So that's about as close you can get to a group of deaths wow. as, that's, <laughs> as you yeah. see, really. Yeah, I, I think um, the thing here we need to consider, as we mentioned before, is the environment that uh, the tournament's been held at, and I think. The Saudis are more than comfortable um, in in this mm. heat and environment, so mm. I I wouldn't uh, bet it against them to um, to take points off Poland. Um, you know, with the heat um, having a, a, a big factor in how the tournament's been played and and the fatigue the players go through. But uh, mm. I, I would I would say Saudis, uh, they definitely um, not much was expected of them. Um, when the tournament kicked off, but um, I'd say they'd be yeah. a good good value. Well, they have been good value for um, um, their money so far. Uh, they've been against Argentina. I mean, they they play to their strengths, right? Um, the smaller teams um, or the weaker teams, if, if you put it that way, um, all will have their own setups and plans in in place. And especially if you've faced um, against Messi um, and 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 his um, team, so you know. Um, they're, they'll set up something similar to deal with Poland uh, tomorrow morning as well, um, you'd think. But, um, yeah. Ashish, you may, you you had a really good turn of phrase there. Saudis have been really good value for their money. <laughs> we don't know how much money has exchanged. <laughs> yeah. I was trying not to slide into politics, but it just, just naturally comes out, you know. It's like those brown envelopes. They just, just, just float around, you know. Yeah, but, um... Ashish can't help sticking the boot into two things. One is Barcelona, and the second one is oil barons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, um, every time I lift up... Uh, or go to the field pump, I think about the same two things, you know, <laughs> bloody oil barons. But, um, yeah, I mean, I... Uh... Well, that that shock result, that shock result aside, there was another one which I think caught everyone off as well, and that was Japan versus Germany, and Japan getting that, again, from 1-0 down, coming back and beating Germany. Uh, so, just like the Saudis did, what are, what are the thoughts on that? What are the... Gupreet, do you have the stats on yeah, that? Yeah, look. Numbers? Uh... You mean France and Australia, right? That was the shock, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you. That was. It was a shock that it was. It was that Australia actually got on the scoreboard. Come on, oh, cross the Tasman. You got to support us. <laughs> I was I was actually in Australia when uh, when Aussie took the lead and uh, I I think I I think I heard a cheer go up in Central Sydney. <laughs> cheer was it good. just it just very quickly dissipated after that. But um, uh, Ali on the on the on the Germany Japan game I I thought tactically this was a more interesting game than and this is with all dues to to Saudi. I thought that game was a little bit of an anomaly, unlikely to be repeated if we were to play that game 10 times, uh, regardless of how much money changes hands. Mm. Uh, Japan-Germany, I thought, was very interesting (laughs) because I think Germany had a lot more control in that game up until until halftime. I I think at halftime, the the key thing that Japan did was bring on Ashish's boy, Tomiyasu. So they, they essentially brought on Tomiyasu and went to a five at the back, which meant that the German um, left back, I think it was Raum, he won the penalty um, that Gundogan put away. Raum started getting less room. So Germany had to basically force the ball through midfield. And then the next thing that Germany, and I, I think this basically cost Germany the game, they took Gundogan off. They took Gundogan off and they brought on uh, Goretzka. Uh, Goretzka is a very different type of player, right? Uh, Gundogan is sort of your deeper lying playmaker. Goretzka is more box-to-box. Goretzka started running up because he's a box-to-box player. And that basically left uh, Germany with the back two, the two centre-backs and the holding midfielder, Kimmich. And Japan just poured forward at pace. If you look at the Japanese goals, they were basically Germany losing the ball in the front third, Japan breaking... Again, coming down to losing control of that midfield. And in the heat, I think Japan, the, the fitness was just incredible. They created so many chances in that last quarter of the game. Germany probably were lucky to come away 
only a goal down in that game. Japan were just all over them. So, effectively, I think two key points in that game. Uh, Japan proactively going to uh, a five at the back, nullifying uh, the spearman that Germany had. And then the Germans taking uh, Gundogan off. Yeah, just just um, on, on that. Um, with Gundogan, he's 32 years old and he's in the middle of a, um EPL season. Do you reckon it had something to do with the fact that he's played so much soccer in the last couple of months and they're protecting him for, you know, like if, if he came off and let, let's say hypothetically, right, this all worked out perfectly fine. They won the game. That would have been a great play because you would have been saving him for, you know, when you actually needed him. Um, I think because it went the other way around, 100% agree with you, Gupreet. That's a mistake. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I oh, yeah. Mean, how, how many? Sorry, I was just going to ask how many, how many. What was the expected goals um, for Germany? Because they just <laughs> seem to. What's the XG, Gupri? <laughs> Hang XG. on, let me let me furiously Google this. <laughs> the, the, I mean, just looking at the highlights, and I, as a Chelsea fan, I see it enough with Havertz um, uh, clutching at um, shots <laughs> and just really. Um, not taking advantage of the opportunities that are presented. And I think uh, in the first half, at least a couple either had the crossbar or at the post. Um, they had a lot of chances. They should have been probably 3-0 up at half time, And then I think the game, the result would have been well in there in control. But yeah. Uh, Ali, I'm late. Uh, talking about Germany and strikers... I'm sure Miroslav Klos is not quite that old yet, and he could still probably score a few goals for Germany. I well, looking at the XG, the XG here, you could you could comfortably say Germany should have scored more. So, the Germans had an XG of three point seven three. Uh, Japan had an XG of two. So, Japan were worth the money for the goals they got. The Germans clearly sold themselves short and. In that first half, I I think they had complete control of the game in that first half, and they they probably mm. should have been two up. Uh, and you'd say two nil up at half time, that probably would have been the game. Yeah, and I think uh, you've t- kind of alluded to it before. The, the the work rate for Japan just means they're, n- they're never really going to give up. So no. any team that's only taking a one goal lead and with twenty minutes to play mm. is is really running the risk of running out of gas, particularly. Um, yeah, with the with the heat concerns and just the fact. I mean, I'm not sure if we've really touched on it, but the fact that compared to a lot of normal World Cups, you've got that take place um, in the European summer. You've got um, camps which are able to kind of assemble it ahead of time and actually work on their tactics a bit more. This has um, come straight in the middle of the regular season of the of the leagues. So yeah, it's the ability to adapt is probably not as as good as it is, has been and uh, other World Cups. Yeah, and just coming back to what Kevin was saying, uh, and I think this is where um, the the Gundogan substitution. Yeah, you're right, Kevin. I, I I don't necessarily think taking Gundogan off in itself was a mistake. I think it was the type of player that the Germans brought on for him, because uh, I think together with going with the five at the back, uh, and I've just gone over and watched the highlights. The, the the other thing the Japanese did really well was they they pressed the Germans really well in the in the middle of the park. They effectively really condensed shape and they pressed them really well. I think the Germans needed another player in that midfield who was really press resistant, who was basically going to be able to deal with the pressure and get the ball into their front four. I don't think Goretzka is that type of player. As as good a player as he is. He doesn't have the same skill set that a Gundawan does. Uh, we we know Gundawan is very press resistant, constantly able to maneuver himself out of out of tight spaces. Goretzka just not that type of player. Every time Grupri says press resistant, I just oh, have flashbacks of yeah, Frankie Dion. Yeah, I'm like, did Germany yeah. did Germany put a request to Barcelona to to release Frankie Dion so they could have a, a press resistant midfielder? You know, you know, Ali. I've been watching uh, highlights of every Dutch game. Uh, and I've been watching Cody Gakpo, not 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 Frankie De Jong. <laughs> Ooh, okay, it's moved on. The look on his face—it's it, not. It hasn't moved I've, on. <laughs> no, it hasn't moved on. <laughs> it's not moved on. 
<laughs> but that that does that does raise a good point like with with Argentina with Germany they definitely had chances to bury that game early and they didn't and they paid the price for it later and you saw with Spain and England in their opening games they took their chances they kept at it they got those goals and then once they started getting you know two goals three goals it just started becoming open open gates and they just kind of rolled the other team over is that is that a trick teams are missing like the big teams obviously need to close those games off early in the heat just to make sure that there's just kill off the hope of a comeback yeah it's a lot of these games for me have had a I know talking to Ashish yesterday about the Iran Wales game, they, they, it does have a bit of a premiership feel to it. A lot of the games have been very end to end, and I think that was basically the undoing of of both Argentina and 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 Germany, not not getting that second goal and not getting complete control of the game. I, I also think the other thing that's been quite observable has been we see this happen in the premiership where a side takes the lead. And then they sort of sit back a little bit. They invite a bit of pressure. They look to consolidate. And and if they concede, they're able to then basically step up intensity again. You know, we've, we've seen the, the top six in England constantly do this where they take the lead, they're pegged back, and then they, they step it up again. I, one of the things that's been really observable is in the second half, I think the bigger teams have struggled to, to pick up that intensity. And I think this is where the heat is the heat is playing a part. Uh, we we know uh, England did really well in the opening game against Iran, but they were three 0 up, right? And Iran were always going to open up in that second half. Mm. Against the USA today, I think we really saw what happens when the game is in the balance and you're trying to take it up. England were just trying to force the ball, right? They were just trying to force it and force it and force it, and the US just kept picking them off. Right. I, I, I think it's a real warning to the big sides that if you're not in control early, you're going to struggle to step it up in the second half because of the heat. Does this then put it back on the team's preparations and conditioning? Because yeah. um, we all knew where the tournament was going to be held and what the weather is going to be like and how hot it was going to go. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, could they have done more to prepare for? Um, I mean, going back to England and Wales, uh, England and USA, sorry. Um, Americans, same situation again. I mean, uh, they probably had a bit more options open to them in terms of training in, say, for example, Texas or somewhere else like that. Uh, but uh, English, maybe not so much. But then again, we all knew uh, this was coming, right? So the, the strength and conditioning um, aspect of it all, I mean, was it taken into consideration, um, you know? Yeah, I think I think from like a tactical standpoint, a lot of these teams, especially the teams that have um, uh, that have players in the European leagues, would have wanted to protect them in the group stage as much po- as much as possible, especially these big teams. So, one thing, like I raised this in the chat before, um, with the way that they played, I think Southgate was trying to protect his players a little bit. Um, he, you know, the warning shot was done early. They've got the the big score against um, Iran. They done what they needed to, but mm. in that second game against USA this morning, they they looked slower. Mm. Um, they looked mm. physically slower. So maybe they were told to go out there and play at seventy percent. You know, with the with the you know with the understanding that from a like a just group dynamics tactics standpoint, if they draw, they're still in as good as position as if they win. Mm. Um, which is probably why Harry Maguire ended up being the best player on the pitch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, putting that stuff, putting all of that stuff aside, this is interesting because Japan has always played with this kind of press and intensity. Um, you know what they've always lacked is that mm-hmm. finisher or that that midfielder that can set them up, get those crisp, clean passes through. They've never really had the likes of somebody like, well, not even in the same league as Messi, but. You know, you compare them to um, you know, Uruguay or somebody like that, then they, from a quality standpoint, they're not there because they've been playing this style for, you know, yonks and they've made it to the World Cup before playing this style. I think they're in a great position. It's like the opposite of Argentina, right? 
Argentina has a strategy that doesn't really work very well, maybe in this kind of situation, whereas Japan does. And if they stick to it, who knows where they end up. Mm. Kevin, I'm calling blasphemy. You're forgetting Shinji Kagawa. Who? <laughs> I was thinking Shinji Kagawa too. Blasphemy. Take that back. <laughs> uh, no, you're, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I... And you're also forgo- forgetting uh, Kaisuke uh-huh, Honda. Yes. Oh, come on. H- Honda, Honda played in a... <laughs> Honda was like, <laughs> he's like tall poppy, mate. He, lo- he looked good on that team, but mate, he wouldn't have looked good anywhere else. Ah, <laughs> oh, he still scored a lot of lot of oh, goals yeah, in sure. Serie A. Sure, on those free kicks, yeah. still exceptional. Yeah. So, so did Harry Kill. So did. Uh, we got to keep things moving, guys. We've been we've been talking we've been talking the tactics and we're talking about the shock results. One special mention does go out to Canada, who played brilliantly against Belgium, only to lose. And they were the exact opposite of um, almost Germany and Argentina, where they were very dominant against the Bel- against Belgium, but couldn't get the goal. And then Belgium did, in the end, get one, just in that end of the first half. And they just didn't have the legs and power to kind of cl- come back or re- mm. revisit or kind of like repackage what they delivered in the first half. But moving on, let's talk about the GOATs and let's talk about Argentina, Portugal and Ronaldo and Messi. Like, are they actually more of a hindrance to their squads? Argentina have the oldest squad of the World Cup. So experience really shouldn't be an issue for them. Portugal have a younger squad, a lot of younger younger members around there. But Ronaldo is still the man up front. Where does that, what, what you know, when they're in their last World Cups, they are greatest players of all time where do we see them uh, let, let, let's start on let's start on Portugal first uh, I, I think it's pretty clear the penalty was at best soft the the one that Ronaldo put away lots, lots of them of, have been, absolutely lots of them have absolutely been very, very soft. I, I don't think that was a great performance in that game from Ronaldo I, I thought he was actually less effective uh, for Portugal against Ghana than, than what Messi was. I, I really thought the key player for Portugal in that game was Bruno Fernandes. Um, and the reason I call Bruno out is because over the last year or so, now Kevin would know this, um, one of the criticisms of Bruno has been that whenever he's had the ball for United, he's only looked for Ronaldo. Ronaldo's the only pass he's looked for. And he's I mean, you can go on YouTube and check this out. Um, there's tons of videos where Bruno's <laughs> ignored an easier pass to a, to a runner and gone for that Hollywood ball for Ronaldo. If you look at both the goals that Portugal scored um, after Ghana had equalized, um, so the second and third goals, I think it was uh, Shao Felix and uh, Rafael Leal, they were, they were passes where Bruno actually played the simpler... I mean, the, the, the pass for the, the Shao Felix goal was just a... That was vintage Bruno. It was just absolutely magical... Um, but the, 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 the pass for the third goal that Rafa Leal scored, uh, Ronaldo was available, but he went for the simpler pass. So, again, I think Ronaldo, uh, as a figurehead to that attack where he's pulling defenders in that type of role, I think he can still be quite effective. But I think the key for Portugal is going to be the likes of Bruno Fernandes and, and the width and pace that they have out wide to exploit that space that Ronaldo is going to free up. 100% agree with you. It's exactly the same thought that I had, Capri. The the one thing that crossed my mind was um, just looking at the way that Bruno's playing in this tournament, I think this is ETH rubbing off on him a little bit because yeah. one of the reasons why, and to, without turning this into a menu podcast, um, one of the reasons why... Uh, my, my, Mike's, just, uh, Mike's just taking a... What? He's getting up and leaving. <laughs> So was I. <laughs> I wrap this up pretty quickly. One of the reasons why Manu's, you know, playing a lot better is because of the way that Bruno has been playing, and he's mm. delivering the ball to Anthony, to to um, Rashford. You know, I think he's also a, a big contributor in Rashford's change of form. Um, so, yeah, hundred percent agree. 
Now, going back to Ali's original question, I still think the weakest link on that port team is is Ronaldo. I, and, and weakest is, I know it's weakest, such a hard thing to say, but that's a, like, I think that, that Portugal team is now uh, solidified in my mind. It's probably like the second or third best team in the comp. Um, and I'll probably go France, Spain, and Port in that group of three. Um, just the way that they've played so far. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I might just... There, there's been some good performances. Yeah, I mean, I, I unfortunately didn't get to see the highlights of the Portugal game. Um, but just my general feelings about it is, um, yeah, maybe maybe through the group stages, I'm, I'm not seeing that uh, Ronaldo is going to be that influential. They've, they've got some tough games to come uh, with Uruguay, South Korea, and there's no guarantees that they're going to take wins in, in both of those games. So um, there's a bit of hard work to be done. So perhaps mm. what they might look to do is, is actually start Ronaldo on the bench um, for at least one of those games. But where I think Ronaldo will um, come into it a bit more is in the knockout rounds. There will be games when it possibly might go to extra time and it's that experience, the ability to conjure something out of nothing, take a free kick from 30 yards out. Um, those are the kind of moments that, that the likes of Ronaldo are, are made for, really. So... Um, yeah, I, I completely agree about up to up to now and possibly the, the remainder of the groups probably not going to be the most influential player. I think Portugal's main objective is just to get through the group without um, taking too many injuries. And yeah, I, th I think Ronaldo will sort of come into it in the knockout round. Is, uh, is, is Mike trying to defend a, a future Chelsea player here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let's say we don't have a, a good history on uh, superstar or ex, or ex superstar players coming into Chelsea. So. No. Strikers. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's uh, I've known Mike for like over ten years now, and that's uh, that's the lightest he's ever got on Ronaldo. <laughs> And then and we've already kind of Gabriel's already touched base, uh, kind of touched upon Messi and Messi's influence on that Argentinian lineup and how they shape up. Kevin Ashish, your guys' thoughts on Argentina and Messi? Yeah, well, the problem I've got with uh, these ghosts is that they cast a very big and dark shadow on everyone else that's around them. If, if you know what I mean. So these mm. younger players coming in, they will be um, obliged to, as we go back to the Bruno example, when you've got the easier pass uh, on, uh, but you see Ronaldo is also available, so you try and pass to him just in the off chance that he might be able to pull it off something spe spectacular, right? Uh, whereas you've just lost this easier chance um, to build something uh, more than um, what that pass to Ronaldo could have achieved. And the same thing goes to Messi as well. I mean, um, they... For, I mean, they, they've got their own, uh, they are the GOATs um, in their own rights um, and all of that, but then the only problem I got is just mm. that the focal point sometimes shifts too much onto these um, single players, um, whereas the team could uh, get ignored, uh, and that's where you'll see the results kind of, if these GOATs are not having um, a, a good day or a good match, um, then you'll see that the, the team suffers as well, uh, whereas the other yeah. Uh, nine outfield players kind of feel a bit um, ignored, if you know what I mean. Um, I mean, if you ask me, I don't, I don't think either one of them should have been in Qatar. Uh, but that's just my personal personal opinion, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Kevin mentioned the the, the Aussie France game. Uh, I thought. Uh, in the build-up to that game, there was a lot of emphasis on Mbappe and how Aussie would cope with Mbappe. But I, I think, as as Ashish says, um, I, I think one of the really interesting things we saw in that game was uh, Mbappe being really effective at dragging out the Aussie defenders. And it was it was actually uh, Giroud that had more of the room in the middle. And and I, I you know two goals for Giroud. Uh, and another example of that later in the week was. Um, uh, Richarlison for Brazil. Again, all eyes on the uh, the superstar uh, Neymar for Brazil. But again, uh, Richarlison doing really well to pick up pockets of space and then two very tidy finishes. When I when I look at um, when I look at Argentina, this is what I worry about. Um, 
it, it all seems to fall down to Messi. He's got to create the goals and he's probably going to have to score them. I, I'm not sure they've got the talent, um, the talent pool that they've had in, in, in years gone by. Yeah, I think also form has to do a lot with it. Like, Ronaldo's not playing well. Um, Correct, yeah. So that's influenced probably tactically how they play and how they use him. Um, they're not relying on him as much, whereas Argentina have come into the comp with a somewhat informed Messi. So there's, it's, it's exactly what you said, Ashish. There's, mm-hmm. there's an obligation to play him and play in the style that suits him. Yep. Um, I kind of feel the same is kind of true for Belgium and Poland in, in uh, you know, the use of Lewandowski and um, KDB. Like KDB, he, he wasn't, he hasn't, uh, like so far, he hasn't shown KDB in peak KDB form. Um, and I'm wondering if that's got to do a little bit with the way that they're playing. Because, you know, in that, you know, in that Man City team, there's a lot of, I guess, bright <laughs> stars to look out mm. for. Mm. So maybe maybe him being the focus is, mm. is making it difficult to play his natural natural style. Yeah, just on the Belgium thing, I mean, as much as I used to really rate him, how on earth is Eden Hazard starting for Belgium given his um, fitness and um, game time that he's had for Madrid? Um, surely that's only on past reputation and the, the likes of Trossard or yeah, someone like yeah. that who's actually in form has that high energy would actually help De Bruyne out and will give more space to the Fords um, because yeah it's just there is just something not quite right there and um, it's great for them that they managed to get, get the win but um, yeah they, they need to sort something out they just can't keep on playing players based on uh, previous glories I completely agree, Mike. Uh, is is that you flexing your uh, fantasy draft muscle again? Because I think you've got you've got Trossard in your team, right? <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not actually playing, fortunately. That one, it's, uh, it's hard enough trying to pick the uh, the predictions. But uh, yeah, no, I I, I, th- I think he's a, I think uh, Trossard. I've ne- I've never actually had him in the Premier League fantasy either. But he's been a player that I've always watched, and um, yeah, I th- I think he could be a bit of a. Um, game changer for Belgium in, in, the, in the right sort of yeah. uh, situation. You're right. On, on form, I don't think there is any. And and Hazard, I think it was, uh, I saw a quote uh, earlier in the week where he was comparing the form he's in now to the form he was in, uh, I think the season before he left Chelsea to, for Real Madrid. And, and he was basically saying uh, he doesn't feel like he's going to get back to that level. I think the problem is it, it's not that level. He's not even, he doesn't even look like half the player he was that season. It just looks disinterested. Yeah. And I think like Kevin says, when you've got a setup uh, where KDB isn't the KDB we see in Man City because Belgium play a different way, I think it becomes even more important that you're playing players who are actually in form. The, the other really big miss for Belgium, I think, is um, another one of Mike's favorites, uh, Lukaku. Uh, L- Lukaku not being there, I, I think it means uh, they're, 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 re- they're really lacking a focal point in that attack. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think he's, he's meant to come back for the final group game. But you could see in that, um, in that Canada game that uh, while Belgium had a lot of ball, they kept turning it over in, um, in the Canadian third. And Canada were just counterattacking mm. so brilliantly. And uh, Lukaku, as, as much as he's criticised, uh, he does that really well for Belgium. He's, he's really effective at holding it up and bringing the runners into play. That just wasn't happening at all. Uh, and I, I think KDB just looked a shadow of himself uh, for, mm. for Man City. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, Lukaku in the in the right situations, and very with the hold up play and just flicking the ball off to um, runners. Yeah, great and. Yeah, the thing with Michi, um, having watched him for a long time at Chelsea and other places, he gets into so many opportunities, but his his um, shots on goal ratio must be <laughs> shocking compared yeah. to most strikers. He just, yeah, sometimes you think he couldn't hit a barn door. I mean, he, he did get the goal, but um, yeah, the, if Belgium's are relying on Michi to, to win them in the World Cup, I think it'll be another um, disappointing tournament. <laughs> Where's the Scouse hero, um, Origi, for Belgium? 
did he make the squad? Maybe he's injured. <laughs> I don't even know if he made the squad. Oh no. He would have definitely won them. He'd probably just turn up in the final, play for like 10 minutes, and then pick up the goal and be a, be a hero, have a statue of him made outside. Yeah, score, scored a freaky, some sort of freaky goal, like in a sandstorm or something. Yeah. Is that, is that yeah. Group, group F the, the biggest toss-up at the moment? Like, I mean, considering how Morocco played and Croatia, they didn't look as good as, you know, previous year's Croatia, but... You know, they're a much older team, so um, that had a huge impact. I, I mean, for, for if you're talking about second spot, maybe I think Belgium's pretty much guaranteed to go through. Um, mm. Yeah, but I think you you might have reflected earlier. Canada, if they play that well, and if they can, if they take some of the form that they had in qualifying through, I think they can um, particularly get a result against Morocco yep. and. You, you never know, maybe a draw against Croatia could be enough for them. Croatia. I would have said at the start of the World Cup that Group H always looked like the group of hell. Uh, that just the Portugal, South Korea, Uruguay, Ghana looked like it was always going to be a tough group. But, you know, the way Canada played makes uh, Group F really interesting because that can, you know, but you see Belgium got that first win means that they're pretty much through safely. They'll be through safely. They'll get at least two draws or a win, an- another win in the next two games. So they should they should get out of there, you know, mm. sufficiently. There's also the Germany-Spain game uh, that effectively uh, it becomes a... Knockout it it is a knockout game for Germany. You're right. Yeah, they, 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 there's two games coming up. Uh, Ashish called one of them out. USA Iran, I think, becomes a classic, and Germany Spain is just that the stakes are going to be just so high. Mm. I think we've got some brilliant football to look mm. forward to. Does anyone remember the score last time Spain play, played Germany in 2020? Four one or Ooh. something. No. 6-0 to Spain. That, that was in the UEFA Nations League in Spain. Um, in, the, in the earlier game, um, it was a one-all draw in Germany, but uh, yeah, Spain obviously turned it on against them. So, yeah, it, it is looking very hard. That to one. This is a better Spanish team. Yeah, that, that one's going to be a must-watch. I, I, think, I think just looking on in paper and the way that they played, I think this is a, a better Spanish team. I think we we called it we called it in our preview that uh, while Brazil and France are going to get the they'll be the popular picks. Given given the the point Ashish was making earlier about the 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 conditions this tournament has been played in, and I think just uh, I know I'm bringing it up a little bit late because um, Ashish made this point about 20 minutes ago, but. Um, the, the 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 lack of preparation time means that you just couldn't climatize. So what we were saying in the last podcast was that teams that have a natural style to fall back on are going to be that they'll have a clear benefit. And I think we've seen that with Spain. Spain have a style that's set. And when you've got a team that's able to hold 70-80% possession, you literally have the opposition collapsing in the last yeah. quarter. And that's that's basically what happened to Costa Rica. They it looked like they couldn't even jog. They were so naked uh, with about 70 minutes gone. It's probably no surprise they conceded three goals in the last 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's it, it takes us to a really good point there, um, Gurpreet, as well. We're talking about goals. And, you know, we thought exactly the heat. It's going to be so tiring for defenders. We're going to see a lot of mistakes. We're going to see a lot of goals. And then we did get a lot of goals. We saw... England versus Iran, eight goals in the game. Spain had seven goals in the game. We had, you know, a couple of a couple of games with Portugal, three Ghana. twos and you know four ones. It's just yeah. So we had we had these these bouts of goals, but then we had a lot of nil nils. Are there more goals in in the Qatari sand? I think there are. Like if we just put the the numbers down but what we didn't account for we, we kind of did account for but we didn't account for in, in the terms from an attacking standpoint is the prep um Gupreet, you touched on it before but it's it's played into how successful some of these more possession-based teams have been in getting the ball up front getting it into mm. the back of the net mm. um 
and I think that's why there's a lot of nil nils. Uh, look, you know, it may change. We may get past the group stage, and we might see, you know, three, four, four, three shootouts, things like that, um, with the heat, you know, in play. Especially if injuries start, soft tissue injuries start cropping up. Um, but yeah, no, that's it, it's kind of what we spoke about before. Yeah, I've done a little. So at the moment, we've seen forty nine goals in twenty games which is at 2.45. So Russia had, I think, at 2.67 average for the whole World Cup. Sorry, saying, I'm just saying I've um, done a little weather forecast for Doha. Um, it's actually looking like um, it's going to be getting a lot cooler over the, over the coming weeks and going through December. So over the past week, we've been looking at 31, 32 degree um, temperatures uh, regularly over there. It's going to be 23, 24 most days um, over the, the coming weeks as you as you get towards the end of the tournament. So maybe this heat um, kind of factor wow, is not yeah. going to be there. Um, so that might uh, change things up a little bit as well. Yeah, so those nil-nils will turn into one-ones. <laughs> <laughs> so is that is that then a tactic as well? Yeah, is that is that a tactic as well to save the legs now because the weather's gonna come mm. to our rescue and yeah. and we'll get a bit of a relief. Don't don't run run too hard in the sun. Possibly, and I mean and just this whole extra time thing as well with the extra twelve minutes or fourteen minutes that we've seen. Um, I know some of the more recent games maybe didn't have that, but uh, if you start seeing that and you add an extra time as well, I mean mm. it's gonna be some very long games. Yep, and yeah. this is probably a question for another day. But why don't why don't we just get to like to stop the clock when the when the player stops when the ball goes out? Like what? Yeah. Anyway, that's a, that's a, that's one for another day. You were saying, Gafreet? Ali, you've got to stop asking logical questions when it comes to FIFA. <laughs> right, you just got to stop it, mate. Like you know. Like... We, 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 uh, we'll, we'll be here like in 20 years time asking logical hey, I've questions got an answer and for none that. of them will get the answered. FIFA official clock sponsor. Uh, probably won't like it too much if the clock stopped too often, you know. They want to be able to advertise a uh, proper product. <laughs> That's my two cents on that. Haven't they heard of a stopwatch? <laughs> I mean, it's not like they can stop the clock in any other sports, right? <laughs> no, they find it too difficult to basically be like, "Oh, time's up, blow the whistle!" Like we don't, we don't need to count for any time that's missed. But you know, the, yeah, it, the it, it is another conversation. <laughs> the American games have gotten to the point where they've got ad breaks between when the clock start and when the, the clock stop. <laughs> Well, well, Kevin's the the resident NFL expert. Um, my understanding is the clock stops more than it actually runs, yeah. right? Yeah, that's true. Games four hours, only like sixty minutes of play, <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly it. FIFA's breaks. missing out. FIFA's actually missing out on a lot of ad breaks because if they could kind of time it, ad, uh, careful, you know, careful now, I mean, ca- <laughs> careful now. People don't need my help making those brown envelopes, you know. I mean, whoever makes brown envelopes, you know, they probably could slot in and and add in there. Yeah, this this year has been full of brown envelopes and levers. More than I would have thought to. Yeah, no, I I think um, with with the goals, I mean, um, as as Mike's mentioned, if if the temperature's cooling down, um, you probably see um, a lot more open football um, going forward, so um, that's bound to bring in more goals. Um, fingers crossed, but, but who knows? I mean, um, you know, um, well, that's the hope anyway. I mean, it is the World Cup after all, you know. Uh, it's not the FA Cup where yeah. you're trying to play a, a little um, somewhere down um, down the line and, and hope <laughs> for a return game and, and catch the other team out. Um, uh, the return game, so um, we're hoping for more goals. Fingers crossed, they come. Yeah. Yeah, and that, given with some some better, some cooler weather, along with the teams just having that extra week or you know ten days or two weeks of like training together, just help gel some of those attacks together and get some more goals. And 
Yeah, although the my counter my counter argument to this is as we go on in this tournament, the stakes are going to get higher, right? We 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 talked about Germany Spain effectively being a knockout game for the Germans. As the stakes get higher, I I think you see that 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 really cagey aspect come into it. We've we've so often seen uh, first halves in um, whether it be the Euros or the World Cup. Where the first half is just like uh, you know, it's just a, it's like a boxing match where they're just having little jabs, you know. Uh, I I do wonder if with the heat, and and you're right, Ali, it, it is um, you know with, with the temperatures cooling down, maybe it'll be less of a factor, but but the stakes are going to be higher. So I I think if anything, the goals are gonna uh, we'll see lower scoring games. <laughs> even, even lower than no no yeah yeah i i I, I, I think uh I, I think given some of the football that england played it might be uh it might be a case uh it, 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 if you can't if you can't string four passes together <laughs> twice in a game you actually get negative points that would be a nice rule to put it's in. like one of the i think it, I it's think one of those rules some... you put in when you're training five-year-olds right Hey, if, if FIFA do get their way and um, hold a tournament in North Korea, we might be seeing negative score lines over there, so you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think on that note, <laughs> we'll call we'll call time on it for this week. Let's, let's stop at North Korea, right, guys? Um, thank you for our panel and for their thoughts and opinions on this on the FIFA World Cup. We look forward to another few exciting weeks of football at the World Cup and the international teams. If you want to get sports nerdy with the team, reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Backpass Pod. We'll be back next week with more sports analysis and banter right here on the Backpass.